Well, a passage this morning, if you would like to turn to, is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 through 31. It's a passage that we are all familiar with. I'm going to read the first three verses. Begin with, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, trouble brews around the words submit and head. It's easy, isn't it, to read into words like this, phrases like this, uh, culturally determined stereotypes and images, wrong interpretations and abuse contribute to the bad image of submit and headship. And our culture, because of that, demands that we define these terms in a certain way and that we limit what they mean. It's a story, it's not, a, it's not someone from, from Good News, but a couple came to a pastor for counseling. Both husband and wife were raised in Christian homes. As a matter of fact, they met in a Christian school, had major problems early on in their marriage, and the husband was perplexed. He was puzzled as to why they were having marital problems. He said that he was committed to a biblical model of marriage and considered himself as being a biblical leader. He said, in order to make sure that there's no question about who is the head of the house, I try to make sure that both my wife and I let Scripture rule our actions. For instance, when I come home in the evening and I'm trying to read the paper or watch TV and my wife comes in and asks for help with, with the kids to make sure that we know who's the head of the house, I flip a coin in my mind. If it's heads, I help her. If it's tails, I don't. Well, I think we all know the problem with this marriage. This guy has no idea what headship means. But it's because of things like this that can cause problems of, of understanding what headship and submission is. And as I think, I want to say this up front, as I think about marriage, I know that there are people here who are not married. I know that there are some young people who are looking toward marriage. This past Wednesday in our, in our Mosaic group, we were talking about this passage, and, and most of everybody had, the kids were out of the home. Um, some were not married. But as we interacted, we saw the tremendous opportunity that we have to minister. If we have grandchildren, we're able to teach them the principles and values of what a, a Christian home is all about. I know that there are many of you who may not be married, but you disciple and mentor young ladies and young men. And we have the opportunity to teach them about what a Christian home and a Christian marriage is. So I want us all to be alert this morning to such a very, very important passage. This passage, again, as I said, is very familiar 
and very controversial because of the issues that I discussed. And um, I want to start off today looking at the end of the, of the passage. I was telling my wife, Chris, I think I could preach three sermons on this. Two for the husbands and one for the wife because literally there's almost double the material for the husband as there is for the wife. But I want to look at verses um, 31 through 33. Verse 31 says, it's a, it's a quote from Genesis 2, 24, that creation account. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, become one flesh. In verse 32, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he goes on and says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul says, this is a profound mystery. Why would Paul say that a man and his wife coming together, his husband and wife, is a profound mystery? If you think back into Ephesians chapter 3, Paul used the same wording as he talked about the church. And up to that point, it did not include Gentiles. And, and Paul shared this profound mystery. The church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And here, Paul was telling the Ephesians that marriage isn't so simple as it looks. It's far more. Marriage is a metaphor that stands for more than a husband and a wife becoming one flesh. It's a living picture of how Jesus Christ and his body, the church, should be communicating. In verses 28 through 30, we see the parallel between Christ and the church being one body and the husband and wife being one flesh. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of one body, of his body. Paul compares a man nourishing and cherishing his own flesh with that of Christ and what he does for the church, his body. He's saying just as Jesus Christ nourishes his body, the, the church, that we as husbands should nourish our wives. John Piper says, if you want to understand the meaning of marriage, you have to grasp that we're dealing with a copy and an original. The original is Christ's marriage to the church, while the copy is the husband's marriage to his wife. That's powerful. This is not new if we look back in the Old Testament. Over and over, God talked about the nation of Israel being his bride, he being the bridegroom. Sometimes he, he called the nation of Israel his adulterous wife. 
course, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ is at times referred to as the bridegroom and the church as his bride. I've taken some time to look at these passages because I want us to understand clearly as we look at marriage, it's not as simple as we think. It's a picture. It's an image of our relationship with Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. It's very important that we understand this parallel as we look at these words like submit and headship. Too often, the emphasis of the passage is entirely missed. I think some people sometimes, as they they preach this sermon, have thought the central point is the subordination of the wife, which is far from it. Too often, people read the husband is the head of the wife, but they fail to mention just as Christ is the head of the church. We see today that the passage is not about control. If we're honest, as husbands and wives both seek to control at times when we're not walking with the Lord, not filled with the Spirit. It's not control, but it's love. It's love. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Let's look at the role of the husband first, that being the sacrificial head. First, let's look at what the role of the head is not. If you listen to culture, culture says it's really nothing. It's this archaic term used back in biblical times. It doesn't mean anything. But if we look at God's Word, it's very clear. It's, these words are very, very, very important. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, verse 3, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So we see here that this is not just nothing to be thrown aside. It's very important. Secondly, headship is not the right to command or to control. It's not a right for tyranny. And third, it's not not an excuse to be passive or indifferent. We hear these stories often of of the emotional abuse or, or physical abuse that takes place sometimes by husbands and wives. But I would say just from, from the years of experience in, in ministry and counseling, I'd say the bigger problem for husbands is being passive, not being committed, not being willing to be involved. Headship, then, is none of those. Then what is it? First, it's an expression of authority. It literally means having authority or ruler, just as Christ submits to the church. That kind of authority. Secondly, it's an expression of service. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. John Piper defines headship. He says it is the divine 
calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, provision, in the home. I'm reminded of Luke 22 where it talks about the leader being the servant. Paul redefines leadership in terms of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. He threw aside, he removed all these traditional views of domination and control. He threw them away as he talked about the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Brian Chappelle, in his commentary, says that biblical headship shifts the focus of husbanding from taking charge from taking charge to taking responsibility, from asserting one's will to giving oneself for the good of another. And it's more of a function of controlling our nature than controlling our wives. John Stott says several things. Jesus Christ's headship expresses care rather than control, responsibility rather than rule. Now that we have an idea of what headship is, why why is the husband the head? Did God just kind of say, you're the head, you submit? No. We see in 1 Corinthians 11 again that creation order is the basis for the leadership. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 12, and I won't read all of that, explain it. It says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. And he goes on and says, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born a woman. And Paul here establishes the fact of the interdependence that man and woman have, the husband and wife have. Well, now that we've defined what headship is not, let's look at the duties and what it is. Let's look at the duties of, of a husband. It's to love his wife. To love his wife. And we see several ways in this passage of how we can love our wife. Again, we first see husbands should love their wives in a sacrificial way because it talks about the fact that we're to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Christ brought the church to his feet by great care, not by threats or fear or anything like that. I love what Barclay says. He says the husband is the head of the wife, true, but the husband must love the wife as Christ loved the church with a love that never included tyranny of control, but which is ready to make any sacrifice for her good. Second, we see in verses 25 through 27, our love must be purifying. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sacrifice, he might sanctify rather her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We all know that the work of sanctification, of God maturing us, is a work of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, as he uses the Spirit of God in our lives, as he uses his word, as he uses fellow believers. But I think it's so very clear in this passage that men, a key way, a key instrument in our wives' growth spiritually should be us as husbands. As we humbly encourage her from God's word, as we pray for her, as we serve her, as we adore her with unconditional love, sacrificial love, purifying love. Third, is a love must be caring. 28 and 29 read, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Husbands, we must love our wives as we love our own bodies. Real love does not demand service. There's something terribly wrong, and we've all seen it, when a man either consciously or unconsciously thinks that his wife is the one who cooks his meal, who washes his clothes, who um, trains up his kids. This means that we, if we're to be caring, we need to be sensitive to our wives' needs, to their, their feelings, to their moods, to their nonverbal communication. We need to be patient and understanding. Finally, a fourth way that we're to love our wives is an unbreakable love. Going back to verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. Our love is such that there should be no thoughts of leaving. As a matter of fact, the thought of leaving our spouse or leaving our wife should not happen no more than we think of tearing apart parts of our body because we're one flesh. Recently, we had a bank uh, official come to our house. We're, we're looking at refinancing our home and changing our, our line of credit to a regular mortgage, and so the guy came out to give an appraisal of the house. And, and for me, I wanted the house to look the best that it could look. Zach and Jared think I kind of go overboard sometimes. But Chris likes it. I cleaned. I cleaned that house well. If something wasn't in its place, I put it in place. If something didn't have a place, I took it upstairs and put it in a tub. Hey, I even cleaned the attic. I swept the attic, cleaned things up. 
in the midst of cleaning downstairs, there were some empty boxes in Chris, one of Chris's closets. And there were big boxes. And I said, man, we'll put these upstairs. Took them up. She had a few pair of shoes. You know, the joke is she's got a few pairs of black shoes. Well, I took some of these shoes and put them up on the shelving. Didn't think anything about it. Two or three days later, the temperatures dropped a lot. Miss Chris wanted her brown boots. First she said, Ralph, have you seen my boots? My brown boots? No, Chris, I have not, I have not seen your boots. She asked Zach and Jared, nope, Mom, we haven't seen them. Well, she went through the house, I'm serious. She must have gone through the house two or three times. She came back. I knew she was talking to me. I think she was. She's not here to defend herself. She said, has anybody moved my boots? Because Zach and Jerry ain't going to move Mom's boots. No, Chris, I am sure I have not touched your boots. Well, the next day she came to me and she said, Ralph, you know those two purses that were hanging on that chair by the door going up to the attic? I remembered them. One was like a leopard skin type thing and one was black. She said, I can't find them. Did you move them? And all of a sudden, you know how things begin to kind of hit? I remembered those things. Remember them. Where did I put them? Oh, I went, I rushed to this closet in the kitchen, and I knew that they had to be there, but I looked, I didn't see them. I went upstairs. I looked, I knew I'd taken some, some bags of Christmas that had curriculum for Sunday school and, and for school, and I thought, maybe they're there. They weren't there. Well, and while I was thinking about that, all of a sudden it hit. I did remember seeing those boots. <laughs> did. I ran upstairs and began looking through all the... We got piles of plastic tubs full of clothes and you name it. Finally, I saw a clear tub with a blue top brown boots. I brought them down to Chris and then I thought, man, I felt kind of sheepish there, you know. Did you find purse, purses, Ralph? No. Uh, I was thinking, I guess I might as well tell Chris to buy some new purses. One more time, I went to that closet in the kitchen, and I looked around. There are these jackets hanging on these little hooks. And sure enough, under two jackets were these two purses. Whew. Man, I pulled them out. So thankful. Man, I had told Chris, though, several times. I haven't touched those boots. I haven't seen them in those purses. Hmm. Men.
Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. No matter whether we're right or wrong, in the midst of everything, we need to be that husband that loves our wives. Sometimes life is crazy and hectic. And for me, if you'd have seen me those, those two days before the appraiser came, I was working like crazy and I was moving all these things around. It's the stress of getting things ready. And life is like that. God calls us to be men who love our wives sacrificially in a purifying way, in a caring way, with no thoughts of ever leaving her. Well, we've seen the husband's role as the head is to love his wife. Next, we'll see the wife's role is to submit to the husband's leadership. And we've acknowledged this, this, this idea of submission causes a lot of alarm in our society. And there's some reason, because of abuse, and misinterpretation, and quoting out of context. But let's look. What does God's Word say about submission? What is it? Again, what is it not? John Piper defines submission as the divine calling of the wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Submission is not a lot of things. It's not something that makes the husband the boss and the wife the servant. The wife never loses her voice. Decisions should never be made unilaterally by the husband. I don't think Chris and I, and we've gone on 29 years, I don't think we've ever made a decision without talking to each other. Secondly, it never involves breaking the human will. It never involves enslaving or domination or oppression. And third, it doesn't imply inferiority. We can look around and we can see that there are other roles that people play. Yes, there's husband and wife, but there's their parents and children. And we know, we'll see next week, children are to obey, submit to the parents. And after that is the workplace. And we know that there's those roles that we play there. So our roles have nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. And fourth, finally, there's no suggestion in this exhortation to be submissive to the wife that's intended to stifle her thinking or her acting. John Piper writes, Submission is an inclination of the will to say yes to the husband's leadership, a disposition of the spirit to support his initiative. There will be times when the most submissive wife will hesitate at her husband's decision. It may look unwise to her. He goes on and says to the wives, there may be times when you need to go to your husband and say, dear, I know that you've thought long and hard, and I appreciate your willingness to take the lead and to take responsibility for us as a family, but I really don't have peace about this. Could we talk? 
I can think in my own life at times when I just had been praying for a long time and I just knew that, boy, this is what it's supposed to be. And I talked to Chris about it and would she say, well, Ralph, I don't feel that. You know, I could have gotten upset. What we did is we pray. Sometimes as we do that, we might change the direction. Sometimes as we pray together, there's a movement in what I felt like God was calling. See, God has given us men. He's given us wisdom in our wives. And because they're to submit does not mean that we should not be listening to them. Well, if submission is not any of these things, what is it? Submission, at the heart of, of this idea, is order. I mentioned earlier to you in creation even. God has established a certain leadership and authority role within the family. And submission is a humble recognition of that order. And again, it's, it's, it should be volunteer. The Trinity models this whole thing of equality of essence with different roles. We saw in chapter 1, God the Father chose us. He calls us. He predestines us. He adopted us. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. The Spirit of God lives within us and, and keeps us, seals us. We see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God. All equal with three different roles. I think of this whole thing, I think of when we see Jesus Christ and his submission to the Father, when he when he submitted to dying on the cross for us, remember, he said, not my will, Father, but yours. We see Christ's obedience to his Father. And we see headship in the Father as the Father sent the Son to die on the cross for our sins. Secondly, submission fulfills the purpose of completing one another. We've all heard how as couples live together, they begin to look like each other. I think that's true a lot of times. But in other ways, I think it's true also. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is sacrificing oneself for the relationship and for those involved in it. You know, a lot of times we think about sacrifice and think the, the wife, you know, she's got to submit. But, you know, if you think about each in each role, the husband loves his wife and loves her in such a way that he gives himself up sacrificially. In the same way, the wife sacrificially gives up so she is able to support and encourage her husband. God gives the authority to the husband 
for biblical leadership that's designed so that a family moves toward God, toward worship and sacrificial serving. And to the wife, he consigns a willingness to honor and support the husband's leadership so he can carry on these responsibilities. As I said earlier, Chris and I have been married for almost 29 years come August. I still think back to those younger years when we were married, and I think how Chris came alongside me, how she encouraged me, how she pointed out strengths in my life. I can't begin to tell you what it meant to have Chris by my side, to have Chris in my corner, because Chris encouraged me. That's a role that a wife has, is to support and to encourage. Each has responsibility for the other, again, so that the marriage and the family are whole and healthy. And let me stop here and, and make a comment. It's not off, offline, but it's something that I want to touch base on. Over the last years, with almost 30 years or so of ministry, God's Word is very clear for us, usually. Sometimes it's hard for us to apply it to our lives. And sometimes our emotions overrule what we know to be true, especially when it comes to parents and children. Two things. The key, I believe, very strongly, the key to giving your children security, a sense of safety, is that husbands, you love your wives. And wives, respect your husbands. And second thing, parents, and please know this, we as parents are not supposed to be our teenager's best friend. That may come later on, Teenagers need parents. They need moms and dads. It doesn't mean that we're not loving to them and caring of them. Too often I've seen over the past where mothers, fathers, try to be their best friend. That's not what God calls us to be. Husbands, again, we must ask ourselves, Am I leading my family to a better understanding of God? Is my leadership self-serving? Or is it sacrificial? And for the wife, do my actions, my words, my attitude enable my husband to lead my family to a better knowledge of God? Third is look at submission. Submission fulfills the purposes of elevating Another, Paul instructs husbands to use their headship as Christ used as Christ used his for the glory of his bride, the church. Husbands, then, we shouldn't abuse our authority in such a way that robs our wives of their radiance or of their splendor, of their beauty. I remember I can't remember who it was told me, Ralph. No matter what you do in life. There are ever times when you disagree with, with Chris. 
Don't go talking about it to everybody else. Lift her up. Lift her up. Not on a pestle in the sense of, you know, not reality, but lift her up. I've mentioned also the, the wives and how they need to respect the husband. I can't begin to tell you how many times over the years where men come in and they feel no respect. You know, I think as we look at men and women and husbands and wives, you know, there's that equal opportunity sin bearer, and we all fail. Women. Control is an issue for many women. Control. Control of finances. Control of how things should be done. God calls us to trust. Trust your husband. doesn't mean you don't interact. I think that over the years, I think that it's easy for women to hold back. They say, I'm submitting. But, Lord, I'm holding on to this area. Hold on to this area. Submission is in every area. Submission necessarily honors and teaches others in the family to honor the authority of the head of the house. I can think of situations in families where the wife has not honored her husband. The kids, in turn, do not honor their father. It's sad. Think about it, men and women. If we raise our kids, we're teaching our children how to be a husband, how to be a wife. Again, submission says this is in everything, in every area of life, all encompassing. Of course, the world says not so. God's word says it is so. The normal disposition of a wife toward her husband should be an attitude of affirming, supporting, respecting his leadership without holding back certain areas that she wants to maintain control of. And again, the wife should never, ever feel in any way that she can't freely speak and interact. Again, I can't begin to tell you how many times that Chris has saved my life because God has given her wisdom that I didn't have. Men, women, we need each other. We need each other. As I think of women in submission, I am reminded of Proverbs 31. And I just want to pull out just a few, few verses from it. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Down verse 11, her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. And when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. 
Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. Powerful passage. Wives, can your husband trust you? Can you or do you greatly enrich his life? Do you bring him good and not harm all the days of his life? Do you give instructions with kindness? Do your children stand up and bless you? And does your husband praise you? A couple more things here. Do you receive your husband's love and care and provision? Do you provide encouragement and support and input into your husband's initiatives and give vision and direction for the family? And women, do you resist the temptation to control? Do you resist the temptation to control? Husbands, I'm not going to leave you off. Questions. Do you lead and not boss? Or rule? Do you learn to discern your wife's needs and strive to meet them? Do you recognize your wife's giftedness and identify ways you can support her and encourage her in giving her opportunities to use those gifts? You need to be responsible for seeking your wife's input on casting vision and direction for the family. Do you do that? Men, husbands, take the initiative and in conflict resolution. Take the initiative and in conflict resolution. I don't know of any marriage that doesn't have conflict. It's a part of life. It's how we deal with it. Men, take the initiative. Don't let some issue sit and simmer. If we don't deal with it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it affects everything that we think and do as we interact. Concentrate on what this passage speaks to you about your role, each of us here, husbands and wives. Don't insist that your husband do what he needs to do first, wives or women or men. Don't expect your wife to do something before you do. I know, I know without a doubt that there are individuals here today who agree with most everything that I've said. And yet, they're discouraged in their own marriage. Maybe because of their own failures, maybe because of whatever. And they may feel like there's no hope. But I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, there is hope. I want you to know, I want you to know that God is able to bring healing in your life, in your marriage. I still think back as a, as a young man. I was afraid to get married for a lot of different reasons. My mom and dad didn't have the greatest marriage. I was the eighth of eight children in our family to get married. A lot of their marriages weren't so hot. And I was thinking, God... If they can't make it, I can't. But you see, we can break the cycle. We can break 
disciple. With Christ in us, we're able to be the husband who loves his wife and be the wife who is supportive and respects her husband. And I hope that you'll come to me or some of the elders if there are issues in your life because God is able in all things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we've covered a lot today. Lord, help us to understand how this all plays out in our lives. Father, if we're married as husband and wife, that you give us wisdom. And Father, for those who are not married, Lord, that you would use this, Lord, maybe to teach the children you had from the marriage. Or maybe if you're not married, Lord, and you have nephews and nieces, Lord, that you would use that in their lives, Father. Oh, Father, help us to be husbands who love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. And Lord, help the wives to be able to submit Lord, supporting and encouraging the husband as he leads. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.